0: Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. Reading out of John, thank y'all for the angle. Reading out of John chapter 12 today. Uh, John chapter 12, um, verse 1 through 8. And this is the story of, of Mary. As she is worshiping at the feet of Jesus, and uh, she, she anoints his feet, and she is worshiping um, Jesus in the middle of a dinner party, and, and she does this in spite of people around her telling her that she was wasting her time and resources. And let me just tell you something, church, worship is never a waste of time. Worshiping God is always, always worth it. Um, and that's what the title for tonight uh, is. Turn to your neighbor and say it. Say, why our worship? it's worth it why our worship is worth it let's pray over service tonight father we thank you for what you're doing through us and for us god we thank you that we gather tonight for no other reason other to grow closer to your son father so we thank you for miracle signs and wonders taking place tonight we thank you god that our expectations are high that we're excited to gather tonight, God, and under your house, Father, to, to learn more about you, Jesus. So we thank you, Father, for chains falling off, God. We thank you for people who walked in, God, depressed or, or filled with inside. But, God, we're going to leave free tonight by your son. We love you so much, Jesus. And everybody says, amen, amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a hand clap tonight. It's going to be a fun night tonight. So read now John chapter 1, or John chapter 12, verse 1 through 8. And. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start it with verse one where it says, six days, everybody say six days, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. So let me kind of set up the scene of what we're picking up tonight. Uh, This is six days before the Passover, so this means this is a little bit less than a week uh, before... Uh, Jesus is to be crucified. This is a little less than a week before Jesus is going to go to the cross. Uh, This is uh, really he is entering the most important week of his life. And what encourages me is that Jesus is about to enter the most important week in human history, yet he is spending time with people. Yet he is still spending time with people. If if I was Jesus, like, look, I'm going to, like, lock myself in a room and just wait until that time came because I don't want to mess up. But Jesus, he he was still spending time with people, even knowing what was about to happen in a week. And that's this encourages me because that's really all Jesus wants to do. He just wants to spend time with you. You know, he just he just really wants to spend time with you. And we're talking about worship tonight. And and really when you boil down worship, all all worship is is spending time with Jesus. You know, however you form it, however you fashion it, it's just spending time with him. And and Jesus had a busy week, you know. To say the least, coming up, you know, a lot of us think we're busy. Jesus had a busy week that final week, but He still spent time with people. That's how much Jesus wants to spend time with us. Because when we spend time with Jesus and we just start to get in His presence, we can't help but to sing His praises. When you start thinking about Jesus, you know, we we can't help but to say, "Hallowed be Thy name." We can't help but to to this bring reverence to Him. Because when you get in His presence, who knows you have to honor Him, and that's what Jesus He was going, he was spending time with people, and he comes to, and he arrives to the home of Lazarus, the man that he raised from the dead. Now, if y'all don't know the story of Lazarus, I'll give y'all a quick synopsis. So, Lazarus was dead for four days, and he was in a tomb for four days, and it says that there was a stench and a stink coming from it, but then Jesus said, let us go and awake a Lazarus, for he is only asleep. And he gets to the tomb, and then he tells him to, to roll the stone away. And then Lazarus, the dead man, comes out walking. And see, Jesus, he, he had that kind of power of resurrection on the inside of him. So I just want to encourage somebody tonight real quick that if you think you are in a dead situation, what, what, what man calls dead, God says it's not done yet. So if you think you are in a situation that people around you have said that it's over or that it's done, let me just say, God, to say, hey, whoa, well, well, it's just asleep right now. I'm about to wake you up. I'm about to wake up your situation. That's the kind of God we serve. He has that resurrection power on the inside of him. And he just goes up and, and, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And he comes out walking and talking. Is anybody thankful that we serve a God with that kind of resurrection power? That we don't have to give up because as long as we don't give up, God's going to show up and he's going to pick us back up no matter where we are in life. And it says in verse 2, it says, a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Everybody say honor. And Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with them. So they create this dinner party for Jesus out of honor and celebration for what he did. Uh, they're they're honoring Jesus for His resurrection power, and they're celebrating their their brother Lazarus. Mary and Martha, their brother was Lazarus, so they're celebrating that their dead brother is now alive, and they're honoring and celebrating that. And when I think about worship, those two words come to mind of what worship really is: is honor and celebration, honor and celebration. That's point one for tonight, is that. What is worship? Because we're talking about worship tonight. What is worship? Worship is the combination of honor and celebration. So when you come and you begin to worship God, who knows that you can bring honor to his name for who he is, but then you can celebrate what he's done. Not only do you celebrate what he's done, then you can celebrate what he's going to do. Because you kind of look at this dinner party and what they're doing out of honor and celebration, they're honoring Jesus for what he's done. He, he brought Lazarus back to life. He, he was once dead, but now he's alive. And now they bring up this celebration form and they begin to honor his name. They begin to honor God for, for who he is, they honor God for his deity, but then they celebrate what he's done for them. That's the same kind of heart that we have or we need to have when we approach worship is that not only do we need to give God honor because we know we need to make sure we know the, the type of, of God that we serve and his deity and his power and, and be in all of this and be of, of what all he can do. But we need to celebrate what he's done for us. And so that's what they're doing of, of, of honor and celebration. I mean, does anybody in the house not have some things they can honor God for? Celebrate God for? Am I the only one? But when I get in that time of worship, I say, God, I'm so thankful for who you are, and I'm thankful I'm not who I used to be because of you. And I celebrate what you've done in my life, and I give you honor for what and how you did it. I'm celebrating for what's yet to come. But then this is when what caught me is that then the scripture notes that Martha, it says that Martha served. See, we're about to talk about in a little bit about Mary's response to Jesus during that dinner party. But right now we're going to talk about Martha because it says that Martha served. Now, if there's words that I myself would want to hear, I, I wouldn't really want to hear about how Caleb spoke or how, what Caleb said. If there's something I want to hear from people is how Caleb served. See, Martha served. And although Martha wasn't at the feet of Jesus, she was still worshiping him because anything done to, out of dedication to Jesus, that's worship. When you say, God, I'm doing this for you, that's how you are worshiping him. Let me give you scripture for that. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to 24, it says, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Everybody say people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as his reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. What I'm trying to say tonight is that just because the music turns off doesn't mean you turn off your worship. Because you can worship God at the workplace. You can worship God at the plant. You can worship God on the job. You can worship God at at, H B Plus. Wherever you are, you can worship God because you're going to say, God, I'm doing this unto you. So I, I don't mean to break out into song and dance. You know, in the middle of the HB aisle. I mean, you can, but I wouldn't recommend it. What I am saying, though, is that whatever you do, say, God, I'm doing this for you. Every moment, I'm doing this for you. God, wherever I go, I'm doing this unto you. I'm dedicating my time unto you, and that's a heart of worship. Because worship, church, is what we're trying to get a boil down to what worship is, because sometimes we can get the wrong perception of what worship is. Worship isn't just when we have songs and music. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship isn't just for Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. Worship's every day. Worship is something that we have to live out every day. And that's what we see with Martha. Martha was serving. Martha was, that's how she was worshiping Jesus, that she was serving him. And in verse 3, it says, Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed. Everybody say anointed. Anointed. Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with their hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance. Mary has just witnessed not too long ago her dead brother come alive because of the words of Jesus Christ. And she has seen Jesus sitting in her home enjoying a meal. And she knows that that's the Messiah. She knows that Jesus is the Son of God. And she knows that Jesus is the one that's going to bring peace back into the world. So she couldn't help herself but to fall at his feet. She couldn't help herself but say how much thankful she was unto him. She didn't care who was in the room. She didn't care what was going on. But it says that she came to Jesus' feet and began to weep and began to wash his feet with expensive perfume and her hair. Not caring who was in the room. And she interrupted that dinner party and began to honor Jesus, celebrate what he did for for him and how he brought Lazarus back to life. Like, are y'all catching the picture in the room right now? of how much Mary how much Mary knew in reverence of what Jesus was and what he could do. See, when you really know who Jesus is and what he can do, you have to worship him. It's what I'm trying to say tonight. When you know that he's the son of God, when you know he's the Messiah, when you know that the blood of Jesus is when it comes on your life, that you'll never be the same, you have to go into that worship time with him. And Mary, she exhibits three different I believe, attributes of of worship when she did that. And we're going to talk about it. First thing she did, it says that she washed his feet. She washed his feet. Now, I know there's a lot of people who get grossed out by feet today, okay? People are like, I ain't looking at feet. I ain't thinking, like, get feet away from me. If you live back then, if you think feet is nasty now, (laughs) if you live back in Jesus' time, you wouldn't be able to make it. Because people's feet back in that day, they were disgusting. Because people walked around. They didn't have, you know, Nikes. They didn't have boots. They had little sandals, you know, little glorified sandals, you know, like basically a piece of paper with string, okay? So they would walk around on the roads, and they would walk, and it was very common for them to step on all kind of filth, mud, feces, you name it. They stepped on it all, and that got on their feet. And so when they would go into a guest house, what they would do is that the guests would send the lowest of the low's servants to wash their feet. Not just the, the, not just the slave or, or the, the lowest of the lows. That It was their job to wash the guests' feet because it was such a demeaning task. But yet Mary, she humbly, out of humbleness, was unafraid and unashamed, and she washed Jesus' feet. Not caring what people said, not caring if people thought it was demeaning or was a sign of weakness or a sign of being low. No, she did it unafraid and unashamed. Because one of the lies of the enemy that happens is that we think that if we worship Jesus and we lift up our hands and we close our eyes and we begin to sing songs, that it's almost a sign of weakness. Like people might think that's a, a demeaning task, like if, if you uh, go and you worship Jesus and you have tears coming down your eyes, then that's almost a sign of saying something's wrong with you. Like you got problems, right? Because we like sometimes we think we like to be the people who that have the hands by our side, like saying, you know, everything's good with me right now, you know. But Mary, she didn't care. She had humbleness in her heart, and she washed the feet of Jesus. Because don't let the enemy convince you that worship is a demeaning task. Worship is not a demeaning task, it's an empowering task. It's something that gives you power and taps into something that you never thought you had or never thought you had the authority to do, and all comes through worship. You see, Mary was unashamed, she was unafraid, and she humbly washed the feet of Jesus. So don't let the enemy convince you not to lift up your hands or, or spend time with Jesus because you're thinking that that's a sign that you don't have everything under control. See, when the enemy says, you can clap for that if you want. I guess not. (laughs) What the enemy will try to convince us, what the enemy will try to convince us, with a lie of saying that if you do this, if you worship, that's a sign of weakness. If you lift up your hands, people are going to think you don't have it under control. If you close your eyes and you begin to see him, people are going to think that, oh, you know what? He might be struggling with something. Don't let the enemy convince you that because that's just a lie from hell. And what he's trying to do, what the enemy's trying to do is trying to steal power from you. He's trying to steal promises from you because he knows that if you get in that time of worship, he knows that, man, when you start to get in his presence, he knows that now he has no control over your mind or your thoughts. So he's tries to convince you. That worship is weakness. But don't confuse a humble heart with a weak heart. Don't be confused by that. Don't think when somebody goes and they get on their knees and they lift up their hands. Don't look down on them and say, oh, they have problems. No, they're going to the answer right now. There's somebody who's getting filled up with his power. Come on, somebody. They're getting filled up. And they're knowing that this isn't the sign of weakness. We're now getting plugged into what the resource that God has for us. So don't let the enemy confuse you. Don't let the enemy intimidate you and think, oh, I'm just going to sit here and let people receive God. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm good. Don't let the enemy convince you of that because that's a lie that he's trying to do. He's trying to keep you trapped, in your own fears and anxieties. But Mary, she had a humble heart. She had a humble heart. See, Matthew 23, 11, verse 12, it says, The greatest among you must be a servant. And that those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who what? Humble themselves will be exalted. So you want to see where true power comes from? It's from a humble heart. It's not weakness, that's a complete opposite. That when you have that humble heart, and you come to Jesus and you say, God, I just want to spend time with you. I don't care what she says, he says. I don't care what anybody says. I just want to spend time with you. You're going to see elevation. You're going to see promotion. You're going to see dreams start to come together. Because now you're tapping into something that the enemy wanted to keep you out of. Tap to his presence and his promises in your life. And then the next thing that Mary did when she washed his, his feet, that she washed his feet with her hair. Okay? Which is kind of weird. But she washed his feet with their hair. Now, back in that, in that day, the Jewish women, they, they never let their hair down. Like, ladies in the room, they never let their hair down at all, like ever, in public. Like, it wasn't thing you did. Because if you had your hair up, that was a sign that you had it all together. That was a sign that, you know, that, that you have your life together, you have your hair up. Like, Jewish women never, ever in public would let their hair down. But it says that, you know, that, that old saying is let your hair down. You know that saying? I mean, I don't really know what it means because I don't, you know, whatever. You know what it's saying, let your hair down? You know, what that means, right, is that you need to come openly to Jesus. She let her hair down. She didn't approach Jesus and, and act like she had it all together. She let her hair down, began to wash his feet with her hair. She came openly to Jesus. Cause some of us, when we come to Jesus, we act like, "Hey, I need you here, but I don't need you over there." You know, we all have that over there place where we don't want Jesus. Like, God, I want you, God, I want you in my job, but I don't want you in my finances. Or, God, I want you over here, but I don't want you over. No, Mary, she came openly. She let her hair down. I mean, some of us, when we worship, we not let our hair down. Okay, both figuratively, but well, mostly figuratively. Okay, for the guys in the room. We need to let our hair down and say, I'm approaching you openly, God. I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm not trying to act like I, you know, have it all together. I'm gonna approach you openly. Openly. Everybody say openly. I'm gonna approach you openly, God. I don't wanna act like that, that this, this, that, that I'm so put together. I wanna I wanna approach you. Openly, and that's what Mary did. She she worshiped Jesus and she let her hair down. She began to wash Jesus' feet with her hair, and that was just a sign of a oh, man. This woman's not afraid, she's unashamed. She's approaching Jesus, she's not caring what anybody says. She's approaching him openly. She's not just approaching Jesus saying, I want you here or I want you there. No, she's she, Jesus, I want you everywhere. She came openly, and that's what can really confuse the Jewish men in the room because when they saw Mary begin to, to wash, uh. Jesus' feet with their hair, and then it was so personal, and it was so, like, because, see, the Jewish men in the room, they were just used to worship being an act of religion. That's what they were used to. They worship, oh, you're worshiping God. Okay, then there's steps. There's one, two, threes. There's C's. There's just a formula. Like, they were used to worship being a religious act. But then Mary comes and begins to worship Jesus, and that's what Jesus came to do. And that she, Jesus came to make worship not a religious act, but an act of relationship, an act of saying, Jesus, you know, this isn't something that I'm doing out of tradition or out of religion. God, this is something because I have a relationship with you. I know that you know me better than I know myself, and that's the kind of heart that Mary approached. And that's why she, she brought, even though she had the weaknesses she brought it to Jesus' feet, because what? Where we are weak, he makes us strong. And how that happens is that we have to o- approach Jesus openly. Come on, everybody say openly. The next, next thing she did is that Mary worshipped wholeheartedly Jesus by using that expensive perfume. Now, when Mary could have washed Jesus' feet and she could have turned on the faucet water, no, she had it back then. But she used perfume, expensive perfume that says in Scripture was worth a year's wage, which people say is anywhere between in today's money, like $60,000, $100,000. And she just poured it out on the feet of Jesus, all of it, on the feet of Jesus. She, she didn't hold nothing back. She didn't, she didn't hold nothing, nothing for tomorrow, the next day. No, she, she poured it all out. On the feet of Jesus. She so poured it all out. And when we say wholeheartedly, what wholeheartedly means is approaching Jesus or approaching somebody with complete sincerity and commitment. See, when we worship Jesus, we have to bring our best and we have to bring all we have. That's what Jesus wants. Well, he wants us to bring our best and all we have. He didn't say that you have to bring and be perfect to worship Him. It doesn't say you have to be and make sure that you have everything, all, every, all your ducks in a row and everything all together. No, he said just bring your best, bring all you have, and that's going to be enough. See, that's the kind of heart we have to have to Jesus. We've got to bring our best to Jesus. And you say, why, why should we do that? Because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. you got to remember Mary, right, we talked about the context. She, wa- or she watched Jesus raise her brother from the dead. She, he, she knows that he's worth it all. She knows that Jesus, there is nothing that is too more important or not more valuable than him. She poured it all at his feet. And see, and this, as much Jesus did for Mary, Mary, Jesus did a lot for Mary. But as much as Jesus did for Mary, he's done way more for you and I. It doesn't compare to what Jesus done for you and I. So how much more? Should we pour it out on the feet of Jesus, knowing what he's done for us on the cross, knowing what he's done for us, how defeated death, hell, and the grave, knowing not only that, but then he sent his Holy Spirit to fill us up. Come on, somebody. Who knows that Jesus deserves it all? And when we come to worship, we have to come wholeheartedly, and that means I'm going to bring my best, and I'm going to pour it all out. I'm not going to wait till tomorrow. I'm not going to hold some on me for the, for the next problem. No, I'm going to pour it all out on Jesus. I'm going to pour all what I have. I'm going to give him my best. And when you do that, so when you bring that kind of heart to that worship time, when you do that, I'm telling you, you're going to not only going to feel God's presence, but you're going to be able to carry it. And peace is going to be able to follow after you. So point two for tonight is saying, we talk about what is worship. So know, how about how do we worship? How do we worship? How should we worship? We said, well, we just went over in those three things. So how should we worship? First one, we need to worship God with a humble heart, with a humble heart. Mary, right, she came and she washed Jesus' feet. She did that out of a humble heart. She, she, She did that even though that was the lowest of the low. Secondly, she worshiped Jesus openly. She worshiped Jesus openly. That meant that she, why, she worshiped Jesus with her hair down. She didn't care. She didn't hold nothing back from it. And thoroughly, wholeheartedly, she gave Jesus her best. So if you hear tonight, tonight, you can see that spells out how, humbly, openly, and wholeheartedly. So how should we worship? We need to worship like that. We need to make sure that when we approach Jesus, that we're bringing all that we have. And when we worship Jesus, that it's something that's not an act of religion, but this is an act of a relationship between him and I. And nobody else matters when it comes to time for worship because that's a time when I need to, to go and I need to come, God, with a humble heart, tell him what's on my mind, tell him what's on my heart, and begin to worship and sing his praises. And this is what I, what I think is awesome. It says, uh, the last part of that, of that scripture, it says that the house was filled with fragrance. The house was filled with a fragrance and fragrance. That was referring to the perfume in the room, but I also believe that was a, a, a physical representation of the spiritual manifestation of what Mary was doing. Because when you begin to worship, who knows that the atmosphere begins to change? That when you begin to worship in the middle of a storm, when it seems like things are crashing around, but when you begin to sing Him praises, who knows things begin to come calm in your spirit. Because things have to change when we worship, things have to change. They can't stay the same when you put Jesus and you shout him out and say, God, I believe in you. I trust in you, God. And when you begin to worship his name, things have to change. Things that, that they have to, they can't stay the same when you say the name of Jesus. They can't. When you say the name of Jesus and you begin to worship him wholeheartedly with a humble heart and say, God, I'm coming to you openly. I'm not holding nothing back. I'm telling you right now, your situation, it has to change and says the room began to fill with a fragrance and that's what we feel when we begin to worship who knows you feel his presence and it's almost like a fragrance it's almost like God. I can feel you right now and he begins to remind you of who you are he begins to remind you of who holds uh, the world in his hands and who holds tomorrow he reminds you it's like a fragrance entering the room in verse 4 it says, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. I'm telling you right now, church, anytime you get into, into worship time, the enemy's going to be in the back of your mind saying, hey, is this worth it? Like, like are you wasting your time right now? And it said, it should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And then in verse 6, it's not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. See, the enemy will try to convince you that God's not worth it. When you get in worship time or when you're worshiping him on the, on the job or at the plant or at the marketplace, wherever you're at, the enemy will try to convince you that it's not worth it. God's not worth it. It's not worth your time. You could be doing something better. You could be doing something greater. The enemy will try to say that God's not worth this, God's not worth that, that it's a waste of time. But you have to understand this how when Judas was saying that, he wasn't saying that as a moment as truth. He was trying to steal something. So when the enemy tells you that, it's not him trying to be truthful. He's trying to steal something from you. He's trying to, he's trying to steal your peace. He's trying to steal your joy. He's trying to steal, your, to steal your confidence because he knows that if you start to worship Jesus in the middle of your worry, when you begin to worship Jesus in the middle of your storm, that's when you're going to be able to, to get that peace on the inside of you that goes beyond understanding. But we have to, we have to know that even in the moment when the enemy's in the back of our mind telling us, hey, we need to stop, it's not worth it. Have you ever been worshiping in your worship moment and all of a sudden, you know, you start thinking of all things you got to do that day. And you're like, oh, man, i got to cut this short, you know, or, you know. The enemy will always try to tell you what to do or what not to do. When you get in a moment of worship, he was trying to attack your mind because he knows he's, he's trying to pull you out of it. But if you say, no, God's worth it. Time spent in worship is never time wasted. God, God's worth it. I don't care if I got five minutes or ten minutes. God's worth it. And when you have that mindset and say, God, I'm putting you at the top, God will bless everything below it. <laughs> Something I've learned because we all have busy schedules, and I understand. Something I learned though is that I, if I say, you know what, God, instead of me building uh, or instead of me putting you around my schedule, I'm gonna start building my schedule around you. Because some of us, we we can look at our schedule and open up the Google calendar and say, okay, God, you got 325 p.m. to 330 p.m. Okay, that's an awesome five minutes. right? We are always, we're never going to be consistent like that. But if you say, God, you know what, I'm giving you the first 10 minutes in the morning every morning. And anything, if I don't care if it's a meeting, I don't know what it is, I'm gonna give you that time because I'm gonna build my schedule around you. I'm not gonna build my I'm not gonna build you around my schedule and try to put you in where you fit. No, I'm gonna put my schedule where it fits around you, God. Because that's how important you are to me. Because God, you're worth it. Port number three for tonight is time spent in worship is never time wasted. Time spent in worship is never time wasted. Never let the enemy convince you that you're wasting your time, you're wasting your resources, because that's what Judas was saying, saying, hey, Mary, what are you doing? You know, that's a waste of resources. That's a waste of time. What are you doing? Don't let the enemy convince you that. Know that what you're doing, you're you're using your time, and the return of investments, it's going to blow your mind what God's going to do. Just because you put him first. Just because you you put that value on the time spent with him. So don't ever overlook or underestimate five to ten minutes with Jesus. Even if you have a short amount of time, if you just give it to Jesus, I'm telling you, he's going to make things happen. He can change your inner circumstance in a moment. Just because you chose to give him some worship, you chose to focus on him. In verse 7, it said, Jesus replied, he said, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And Jesus was referring to the cross. Uh, like we said, the crucifixion was only a week away. And he said, see, Mary, don't, don't look down on her. She's got her priorities straight. She knows what really matters right now. So don't, don't say Mary's doing the wrong thing, but giving God all you have, that's always the right decision. Giving God your first and your best, that's always the right decision. Honoring God no matter what, that's always going to be the right and best decision. But in the day and time that we live in, they're always going to try to convince us that it's a waste of time, a waste of space, or a waste of resources. But always, when you put God first, you never come and last. Amen. Will you stand with me tonight? I want to close with this scripture. In John chapter 4, verse 23. And this story, it's Jesus talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And they begin to talk, and he begins to explain worship to her. And he says in verse 23, he says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. Everybody say now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirits and in truth. See, the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Wow, is that is that just a powerful statement that it says the, he says the Father is looking for worshipers who will worship him that way? That he's searching, that he's looking, that, that, that that's the kind of worshipers he looks after. ever been worshiping? I've been in that moment in the presence of Jesus like we're, we're about to sing some songs in a little bit, but have you ever been in that moment and you, you feel the most fulfilled you've ever felt in your life? Anybody, anybody with me? Like you're worshiping Jesus and you feel his presence and you're saying, wow, man, I feel so connected with my purpose. I, I feel so, I feel so connected I feel so fulfilled right now. you want to know why? You're literally doing what you're created to do. You and I, we were created to worship. You and I, we're created to spend time with Jesus, to have a relationship with him. So when you have that worship time and you begin to praise Jesus and you begin to feel his presence, the reason why you feel so fulfilled is because you're doing your purpose. You're literally doing what you were created to do. You're you're fulfilling the purpose that God put inside of you. Because if there's a purpose that we all have, that we all can agree on, is that our purpose is to worship Jesus. Our purpose is to bring glory to the name above all names. Our purpose is to worship Jesus so loudly that we can bring honor and reverence to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's our purpose. And so when we get into his presence, when we begin to feel his arms be wrapped around us, that's our purpose. That's our purpose, church, is to worship. That's why, you know, when we get in that worship time, sometimes we leave it behind us when when the songs end, when the music is turned off, but that worship, that's just not a task for us to do, that's the reason why we were created, that's the reason why we were formed, to spend time with Jesus and to worship him. closing statement for tonight I want to leave you all with is, worship is worth it because it's our purpose. Worship is worth it because it's our purpose. It's always going to be worth it to worship Jesus. Because now you're doing what you were purposed to do. Now you're doing what you were created to do. Now you're partaking in the task of why you even exist. Is to spend time with Jesus. To bring glory to his name. To begin to worship him. And honor him. And celebrate him. That's why we're here, church. We have jobs. We have occupations. But I'm telling you, our purpose is to worship him. We have days to days. We have our to-do lists. But at the top, it has to be I need to worship Jesus. I need to bring glory to his name. I need to make sure that my priority is on my true purpose, and that's just to worship him. About to sing songs in a little bit, and I just want us to worship. Because there have been times in my life where I felt like things were crashing around me. There's been times in my life where I didn't know what tomorrow was going to hold. I was nervous about what was going to happen. But all of a sudden, I got into a time of worship. And I began to get reminded of my purpose. And I began to feel God's presence. And I began to feel the fear and anxiety be lifted. Because let me tell you, church, when you begin to worship Jesus... When you begin to bring honor to his name when you begin to step into his presence like we talked about humbly wholeheartedly openly when you begin to do that all those problems you thought you had or thought that were on the way or all that anxiety and fear that you had it has to begin to go away because now you're doing what you purpose to do sometimes life can just be a distraction to keep you from worshiping don't be distracted from worshiping jesus don't be distracted from your true purpose, which is to spend time in his presence. Because I'm telling you, if you do that, if you spend time with Jesus, all the things that you were anxious about, God's going to make you confident about. And it's not going to be anything that changed on the outside. It's going to be everything that changed on the inside. Because now you're doing what your purpose to do. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend.